The Real Chemistry Podcast connects the dots between our guests and the innovative work they do to show up and shape the future of healthcare. Why? So you, the listener, are encouraged to join us on our relentless pursuit to make the world a healthier place for all. Some may call it idealism. We call it real chemistry. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Strout, CMO of Real Chemistry and the host of the Real Chemistry podcast. And today I'm going to bring you a slightly different flavor of guest. Her name is Shaughnessy Naughton, and she is the president of an organization called 314 Action. You'll find out more about the name, what they do, and really the premise of what we're going to talk about is getting more uh, scientists and science believers, those that are heavily involved in STEM, uh, elected to different positions, both at the local level, the state level, and the national level, with the idea of advancing you know, the right agendas, whether that's uh, better drug pricing, climate change, et cetera, et cetera. But I think you'll be fascinated by uh, what we talk about. We do get a little bit into the, the weeds on the politics and the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, so hopefully you stay tuned and listen in. Well, Shaughnessy, it's a pleasure to meet you, and I am really looking forward to this conversation because um, while I've talked to many smart people uh, doing very important things, you have a different approach. And I think as we get into the conversation, people are going to find out just what a a different approach that is. I do want to start with your background. Uh, You are an entrepreneur with a degree in chemistry and a background in drug research. So not always things that come together. What was the thing that got you uh, so interested in science early on in your career? Well, great to great to be with you today. Um, you know, I uh, I grew up uh, along the Delaware River and spent most of my childhood uh, in the in the woods of Bucks County, Pennsylvania, and was really intrigued by the natural world. Um, but when I uh, got to study chemistry, that's where I found my my real love for science. But it, it definitely started with the experiments and and adventures in the in the woods of uh, my hometown. Well, that's awesome. And I will say I had a similar uh, upbringing. I'm from Wyndham, Maine, originally. And I remember, you know, playing in the muck in the woods and, you know, getting fish out of the, the little ponds and the tadpoles and all that stuff. I took a very different route than you did. Um, so I'm glad, based on what you're doing, that that was the uh, inspiration for where you are. So uh, I'll bring us up a little bit to current day, which is you're the president now of 314 Action. Uh, we have a few different layers of the onion will peel off on this one, but let's start by talking about what its mission is and what you all are doing. Sure. At 314 Action, we work to recruit, train, and elect scientists and STEM professionals to public office, everything from city council and and state legislatures up through the federal level, uh, with the thinking that you know, we benefit by having diversity of experience and recognizing it doesn't happen on its own. Well, I'm um- Happy that someone is doing that because we need that more than ever right now. And again, we'll get into that more deeply. Uh, I would also be remiss, like one of the things that's super clever about your name, when I first heard it, I was like, what does that mean? And then as I found out, I was like, well, actually, that's very clever. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what the 314 is and how you came to pick that as your um, the way you, you went out into the world. Well, 314, the first three digits of pi, which is uh, used throughout the sciences. And so I thought it would be a nice nod to what we're trying to do as far as bringing more scientists into the political process 
Um, turns out it's also an area code in Missouri, um, but that is not what we were named after. Well, that's funny because that was the first thing I wondered because uh, I'm originally from Boston or Maine, you know, and then Boston, lived in Austin, Texas. I live out in the Bay Area now and area codes have always been a very important thing to me. Uh, I keep my 617 Boston area code, which was one of the OGs and, um, you know, out here, 415 is obviously the big one. So, uh, but that's, that's really cool. And I love it. And I'll give you one other little fun fact since uh, you brought up Pi. My son, who is like a total math and science nerd, one point in school, I think it was like maybe sixth grade, seventh grade, his teacher challenged the class to see how many people could uh, memorize, you know, dozens of digits of Pi. And whoever won would actually win a Pi because I think it was March 14th, right? Uh, my son spends an hour and a half, like ahead of time, going through, memorizes a hundred digits of pi that he recites off in class, which is crazy to me. I don't think I've ever been able to get beyond five or six. So, um, <laughs> little fun fact there. Well, he's a perfect candidate for MIT. That's their uh, that's their fight song is the digits of pi, <laughs> which it does not surprise me in the least bit. Uh, one of the things that I do want to get into, and this is as I started to get to know more about you in particular and the organization is, and I think it's so germane today because, and I know we'll get into some current events, things happen, people bitch about it on social media to their friends or whatever, and then they go on with their day-to-day life. And maybe they go out and vote and that's always important, right? But I think a lot of us um, probably do a lot less than we could or should to sort of help change some of these events, good and bad, that we'd like to see more of. So I'm going to rewind to 2013. Um, at the time, you had decided that you had seen enough of a lack of fact-based decision-making in Congress. Sounds a little bit familiar from the last uh, few years at, at a minimum. And uh, you took this bold step of throwing your hat in the ring for running for Congress in Pennsylvania's 8th District. So that must have taken a lot of courage and probably a little bit of like, what the heck am I doing here to do that? But talk us through that process. Sure. Um, well, yeah, running for Congress is not dipping your toe in the water. It's jumping right in the deep end. And honestly, I did not know what I was getting myself into. I had you know, knocked on some doors and made phone calls for campaigns, but it's a totally different experience to put yourself out there as a congressional candidate. And, you know, it uh, unfortunately, my my reason, um, nothing has been really done to change it. Um, part of what motivated me to run was after the Sandy Hook massacre um, and all those children um, killed in their classroom. And Congress did nothing to, um, to combat gun violence, uh, including at the time, not even allowing the Centers for Disease Control to uh, keep track of gun violence. Um, and you know, we know as scientists, step one in solving a problem is looking at the data. And if scientists weren't allowed to collect it, you know, it's going to make it a lot harder to to address the the issues. Um, and so, I rather naively decided to to run for Congress, um, thinking it was just about my great ideas. And part of what I learned in the process was that. Um, Great ideas and grit will only get you so far. I mean, a big part of what you have to do is you have to be able to communicate um, with the people you're seeking to represent. And that takes um, that takes money. And I, you know, part of what I did when I ran was I started cold calling chemists and making the case that even if they couldn't vote for me, we would benefit by having a chemist in Congress and um, and started building out this network of 
you know, of scientists and friends of science concerned about the direction of our of our country. And that's ultimately what you know led me to uh, to found 314 Action was, you know, part of what I learned was that at the time there were more talk radio show hosts, nothing against them, uh, in Congress than scientists and engineers. And um, we are, are working to change that. Well, you bring up a good point, and then I'll get to my next uh, question I want to ask you. And that is, you know, if we listen today to talk radio show hosts, you watch a CNN or a Fox or whatever, uh, we know in this sort of age of distraction that you have to be, you have to put out strong opinions to get people to sort of take notice of you, right? And I think that's one of the the good and the bad things about science is science is a little bit boring for the general public, right? Because it is about facts. It's about data. It's not, you know, hyped up or whatever. It's just very straight down the middle. And so it is something that's hard to compete with. And I think it's, you know, obviously the pandemic showed us how important science was to, you know, making sure that we know how to do things like create mRNA vaccines and, you know, getting orals and social distancing and all that good stuff. But I guess what what is the solution that we could think about that says, like, we know that people like as a candidate that's for science, it's you're always going to be. Uh, at a disadvantage competing with like a Donald Trump or a Ron DeSantis or, you know, an AOC, just to sort of play both sides here. Like, how do you combat that? And then we'll get into some of the lessons learned in a second. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, part of the problem is, is I think the, you know, the culture among scientists traditionally has been science is above politics and therefore scientists shouldn't be involved in politics. Um, but the reality is, is that we need scientists to not just do their research, but also interpret it for us. And as candidates, they come to the table with a lot of credibility. Scientists are among the most trusted professions in the United States, and it doesn't always seem that because of a vocal minority, but it is important to remember they are a minority. And whether you know we are facing a, a global pandemic or uh, issues closer to home like gun violence or, or healthcare, uh, climate change, you know, these are issues that scientists have a lot of credibility on, um, regardless of their exact field of expertise. And I think that is a real advantage when when running. And we've seen that with our candidates that their um, trust among their constituents, um, you know, they're really looked at as as truth tellers. And frankly, that's what we need more of um, from our elected leaders is people that won't always just tell us what we want to hear, but tell us, you know, tell us the truth and what we need to hear. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, we've seen over the last few years, I mean, probably forever, the moderates and, and sort of the undecideds in the middle really are the ones that decide elections, right? So having people that can play to that middle where it's like, I'm tired of the extremes and I want someone that is a truth teller that does make fact-based decisions really is something that's comforting. I guess getting back to where I was going before my line of questioning was you did lose this election, which was too bad, but you learned a lot during the process. You met a lot of people. How do you apply this to your day-to-day job now? Because, you know, I think I've heard a lot of very successful people say that the successes are nice, but I've learned the most from like the mistakes or the losses or the things that really sting and motivate you. So, you know, give us a few examples of things that you help your candidates uh, apply to their um, elections that help make them better? 
Well, there's a basic reality in uh, math reality in elections is that most people who run are going to lose. I mean, think about how many people were running for president. Only one gets to be president. But that doesn't mean that there isn't value in the process. And when you run a credible campaign and talk about issues that you're passionate about that matter to the folks you're looking to represent, you can make a difference, even if it's not always in the um, in the exact, you know, at the election. And I think that's really important. And that's something I, I try to convey to our candidates is that um, just by running, you are making a difference and you are participating. I mean, a lot of people do just go to social media and complain. Um, this is, you know, this is really stepping up to, to make a difference. And one of the stories I, I like to tell is from 2018, we had um, a chemical engineer and clean energy entrepreneur running in a suburban Chicago district. And his passion and it was is climate change. And he really, he was in a contested five-way uh, Democratic primary and he talked about climate change even though his consultant said, no, nah, people don't care about that. And he won the primary and it was in a Republican district against a Republican incumbent who had voted against every climate initiative and frankly, most environmental initiatives in his tenure in Congress. Um, but immediately following the primary, that Republican joined the climate caucus. And even if Sean Caston hadn't gone on to win in November, I would still tell you that story because I think it really highlights why it is important to, to challenge politicians and, and hold them accountable. Well, you know what? That is such a critical thing. I think the last thing you said, the holding politicians accountable by challenging them. And I think people don't think about the strategy of either A, setting yourself up for another run later or maybe like for a different position or more importantly or equally importantly, changing the agenda, whether it's within your own party or with the other party, because a lot of times if they do want to bring everyone under one tent, then they've learned what it is that, you know, people are energized about. So thank you for sharing that. That's like, we, we forget about that and only look at the successes or the losses and taking them at face value. I do want to talk a little bit about the, like some of the people you've got. And by the way, I love um, on your website, you use scores of STEM professionals, like this uh, adjective fortnightly, right. Uh, where we don't always have the exact um, term. So more than 10, right. But less than a hundred. So you have had scores of STEM professionals elected to public office since you uh, founded the 314 Action. Can you share a few of the names of these people that you've uh, helped through the process, whether they're at the local level or national level? Sure. Um, well, I'll, I'll start with our, our two biggest um, Senate wins in 2020 uh, were John Hickenlooper and Mark Kelly. Mark Kelly's a former NASA astronaut, test pilot, um, and um, is now the, the freshman senator from, from Arizona. And John Hickenlooper uh, challenged, also challenged uh, an incumbent senator and won and is now serving. And both of them, um, you know, they're, they're different and they had different platforms, but the, the quality I think they both share is, is the problem-solving approach to governing that we really need. Um, Hickenlooper was the governor of Colorado before he was in the Senate. And he's a he's a Democrat. He was at, when he was governor, the legislature was Republican controlled. And so they really had, you know, it, it wasn't um, it wasn't one party rule. They had to find a way to yes. And they found a way to yes. They were the first 
um, state in the country to enact methane gas em emission restrictions. Um, they, after the uh, Aurora shooting, they enacted common sense gun gun reform, um, and they, you know, they worked together, Republicans and Democrats, to um, really uh, bring down the abortion rate among teenagers. And and it shows that government can work um, if we get the right people elected. Um, I, I have to also point out Kim Schreier. She is uh, serving her second term in the U.S. House of Representatives. She is the first pediatrician elected to Congress. And, you know, think about even before a pandemic, how useful that is to have that perspective, um, to think not just about healthcare as a, as a campaign talking point, but actually understand what it's, you know, what it's like to talk to parents about vaccinating their children, you know, and, and how it's, you know, it's not just about healthcare, it's also about making sure children have proper nutrition and, and, um, and a safe place to live. And, and I think these are, um, these are people that really highlight um, the work we do is they're, they are focused on problem solving and um, bringing different perspectives to elected office. Um, one other that I'd love to point out is um, she's a uh, Monica Taylor. She is a professor at the College of Sciences in Philadelphia, and she originally ran for school board in 2017. She was elected. Two years later, she ran for county commission in Delaware County, just outside of Philadelphia. And this was in 2019. And she ran on the platform that if elected, she would help establish a board of health for Delaware County. It's the largest, most populous county in the country that didn't have its own board of health. Well, then she was elected in January of 2020. I think we can all remember we started hearing about this coronavirus going around. And it really highlighted that, you know, what these folks bring is not just reacting to the problem at hand, but also looking around the corner. Um, and these are perspectives that we really need. I love that. And I'm going to mix things up a little bit question-wise because one, you know, since you brought up some candidates, I would like to look at the midterms. Is there anyone that you'd like to call out? I think Liz Snyder was one that you did a interview with um, uh, recently, uh, or at least on Twitter, I saw that. But any specific folks that maybe those listening in should be uh, throwing their weight behind or at least taking a look into in the midterms that you're uh, helping or at least excited about? Yeah, well, um, just today we endorsed Dr. Annie Andrews in South Carolina. She is a physician uh, running for Congress. Um, and, you know, she has been an advocate for common sense gun reform um, for and working to help that in her community. If you remember a few years back, there was the horrible massacre of people in their church in Charleston. Um, and unfortunately, this is a, an issue that we keep facing because we have not elected um, the right people who are willing to actually do something about gun violence. Um, so I am very excited to be ex uh, supporting her. Um, we also have uh, up for re-election, uh, Lauren Underwood in Illinois. Um, she's the youngest African-American woman elected to the House of Representatives. And, um, you know, she was a background as a nurse and a public health official. And when she got to Congress, she co-founded the Black Maternal Health Caucus. Now, Black maternal health outcomes have been worse in this country forever. 
but no one has made it a priority before until she got there. And she said she thought it would just be her and the other the other co-founder working on this issue. Um, but instead, it turned into a bicameral, bipartisan effort that Congress is is really trying to make um, make a difference on. And again, it highlights why it is so important to bring diverse perspectives into uh, into Congress. Well, I love your answer on that, and we're very focused here on you know helping create health equity. Uh, and this relates to our next question, which I think will be a nice lead in, and that is. I work at Real Chemistry. Uh, we work with a number of large life sciences, digital health companies. What can we do and what can we encourage our clients to do? Because we know a lot of them will be listening to this podcast to get more involved. Well, uh, one is vote and vote um, and vote your values. I mean, if you care about seeing uh, or stop seeing children massacred in their schools, then do not vote for candidates who don't support common sense gun reform. You know, if you care about access to abortion rights, which is certainly going to be an issue facing people uh, after this next Supreme Court ruling, um, then then vote like it matters and and get involved. I mean, whether it's uh, volunteering or volunteering your time, or if you don't have time, your, your, your money to candidates that you believe in, um, it really does make a difference. Yeah. And I would just add like one more plug is vote local and national. I think a lot of us think about the presidents or our Congress people or our senators, and they forget that a lot of politics are local and it starts there. That's where gerrymandering happens, which is the, for, I think most people know that unfortunately over the last few years, but um, this sort of uh, non-logical or political, you know, redistricting and, and making it so that your party has an advantage to, to win the particular District. Uh, and, you know, to your point, these are people that rise up to the ranks as well. Right. So, you know, getting them local, they also impact the courts. I think we're seeing with the Supreme Court, this is something that started in the lower courts and moved up. And when you have them packed with one particular affiliation or not, then that has a negative impact. Yeah, that's right. I mean, um, you know, we have elections pretty much at least twice a year in this country, not just every four years. And, you know, a lot of whether you you care about healthcare, education, even climate change, a lot of those decisions are made at the state and local level. And that's a great way to get involved, attend a school board meeting or a municipal meeting. You know, what we've seen with our, our scientists is that usually, not usually, but often after they attend a school board meeting, they say, you know, maybe I should run for school board. And it's a great way to serve your community. You don't have to take a pay cut or put your career on hold, um, but it gives you that experience and that um, ability to give back to your community. Um, as well as, you know, if you're thinking about running for higher office, um, getting, you know, getting that muscle training of, of what it's like to to speak in public and ask people for money and, and build coalitions. Yeah. And it's also a good point because we know that a lot of people are parents. A lot of people are very passionate about their children, their children's well-being and their future. And so there is a strong community that already exists around the school of people that are, you know, just part of the general fabric fabric. So a good way to meet your community. And I love, I love that recommendation. Um, I do want to do a little bit of a forward looking before we get into our last couple of questions. And that is that one would argue we've just lived through two of the worst years uh, of people distrusting science. 
and close to 50% of our politicians reinforcing that lack of trust. Is there hope in sight over the next four to six years? And please say yes, there's some hope, or at least, you know, where you're helping to, to create some of that hope. I, I think so. I mean, what we've also seen is that people really are looking for uh, looking to the professionals to lead us in the future. And whether they're public health officials or, or scientists, they have a lot of credibility and um, we need to see more of them step up and, and run and get elected. You know, I see a lot of good that can come out of uh, troubling times. And I think, you know, we've seen movement on that from a, a racial justice uh, perspective. You know, I think even uh, the climate crisis has a lot more people engaged and, and thinking about what type of future we're going to leave to our children and our grandchildren. Um, so I, I always look at uh, adversity as an as a opportunity to evaluate what we're doing and how we can do it better. And I think getting more scientists elected um, is, is one way to do that. I mean, we launched um, earlier this year a, an initiative to take what we've learned helping scientists running for the federal level and, and statewide offices and um, looking to really scale that to state legislative and, and municipal offices so that we can give the scientists the support they need to be successful, even in these very low cost um, local races. And I think that can really make a difference if we go from electing, you know, 100 scientists a year to 1000 or 10,000, there's over 500,000 state and municipal offices that are elected in this country, and they oversee over $3 trillion in spending annually. Think about how impactful that is just to uh, just to step up and get involved. And, and we're seeing more and more folks doing it. We've endorsed over 150 scientists running for state and municipal offices this year, and, um, and that will make a difference. It's exciting to know that there are people like you and your organization in the world that are doing these things. And I appreciate the optimism. And I do feel like, you know, even with the Evaldi shooting in Texas, which will now have been a few weeks in our rearview mirror, um, just listening to some some of my colleagues talk and the fact that it seems like we keep going through this loop right in the circle and the thoughts and prayers but there are incremental changes that are being made. And I think a lot of those are happening at the you know local state levels. And sometimes we don't see them. And so it's hard, but it is something that we do have to keep the faith. And to your point, keep getting involved, keep voting, keep being vocal. You know, it's we know Congress isn't going to wake up one day and say, you know what, we need to be much stricter with our gun laws because it's just not in their nature to do it. But um, just finding the right ways to continue to protect ourselves and to get smarter. And part of that starts with electing people that go with fact-based decision-making and, and really trusting the science. Well, that's right. And, and you know, getting things done at the state and local level is often, um, you know, the timeline is much shorter than it is at the federal level for good reason, probably. Um, but there are also test kitchens of, of what can be exported to other states, as well as what what um, Congress can can enact at the federal level. I mean, there there is a correlation between good policy and better results. In Massachusetts, they have the strictest gun laws in the country, and they have the second lowest um, gun deaths. Uh, you know, so so we can demand change. We just have to follow through with it uh, with our votes. 
Well, I'll make one more point, and then we will get into the two sort of questions I ask all the guests. And that is, I was a former Massachusetts resident. We had a guy, um, uh, Mitt Romney, right, who ran for president, and he was the guy that put the blueprint for Obamacare into play that did ultimately get elected. So, you know, Massachusetts followed that that move, and then we saw it when Obama came into office. So just making your point of sometimes these things come from, you know, unusual places and can be blown up to a much larger federal level. Yeah. So last two questions, and one I have started asking everyone during the pandemic, sort of continuing that theme of hopeful optimism, and that is, if you had one wish, whether it's a personal or societal wish, what would it be and why? Um, well, I, I think if I could change uh, one thing, it would be on, uh, it would be five things. Um, you know, it would be to end gerrymandering, um, you know, to have, uh, you know, to have a fairer system where more people uh, participate. And I think that we would get better results that way. Those are good ones. I, and it's funny that hasn't come up, but those are two very obvious things that would make a huge difference. And I think just again, for the uninitiated listening in, and I think we have a fairly smart uh, group of listeners, that with gerrymandering, you allow for the minority to control the majority, right? Because we know even today that a lot of people live on the coast and a lot of you know people on the coast tend to vote more with science than not. And that's no disrespect to those in the middle of the country, but um, we do have less population that still have the same senatorial representation. That was the construct of the country. But if we don't allow people gerrymander, then we have true representation of our populations and what people want. And I think at the end of the day in America, that's what it's supposed to be all about. So, yeah, I mean, and the other part to that, too, would be I think open primaries would be really helpful. I mean, you have that in California. Um I'm in Pennsylvania. We, we do not have that. If you're not registered with the party, you can't vote in the primary. And when districts are heavily gerrymandered, what that does, it brings out the most extreme on either side. And um, and that's not what we need. We need people that are actually going to go to work and get things done and, you know, not be um, mugging for the cameras. Well, I think that's an important point. And I, I really am not here to, you know, editorialize too much. But I think I'm more of a centrist, um, but I do believe that if if people want something and they're well-educated about that particular topic, then they deserve to get it, right? And that may or may not align with what I want. I mean, if someone wants to have more, like I come from a family that were hunters and they all love to have guns. I don't personally have a gun. They were responsible gun owners. and But if that's what they want and they're voting and they're well-represented, then that probably is a good thing at the very least at the state level. And I think that's where gerrymandering gets problematic is, is that you do mute these people who may be the majority voice. And if they don't have that ability to get their voice out there, you know, and be well represented, then that's not really what the country was built on. Yeah. So the more lighthearted question that we'll end on here, um, now that we've solved all of the world's problems, uh, I always like to sort of get a, a feeling for how my guests think. And that is, uh, imagine yourself on a uh, proverbial deserted island. Let's say it's a fun one with nice drinks and a little palm tree, uh, but you can only take one album with you. Uh, which album would you choose? Well, I uh, I like diversity, as I mentioned before. So I would I would pick the soundtrack to Pulp Fiction um, because it it hits on some of my favorite songs and uh, and lots of different genres. Well, said like someone that is a true scientist, because that's a perfect choice. I'm, I'm always amazed at why people don't 
do uh, soundtracks or pick like a best ofs or I, I do sometimes I have precluded people from best ofs in the past, but never precluded them from soundtracks or live albums. So, you know, it's a great way to get a lot of the, you know, your particular artist in there. So uh, excellent choice. And with that, Shaughnessy will wrap up. I'm Aaron Stroud. I'm the CMO of Real Chemistry, the host of the Real Chemistry podcast. We've had the pleasure of talking to Shaughnessy Naughton, uh, who is the president of 314 Action. Thank you so much for joining us making us smarter and uh, putting some light into the world because what you're doing is truly critically important. Well, thank you, Aaron. I really appreciate it. Want more episodes of the Real Chemistry Podcast? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Stitcher app, or iHeartRadio via the Health Podcast Network. Go to realchemistry.com for more info.